forward. It's from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. The whole reason for this is, I don't know about you, but sometimes as we look back over the last year, and I kind of do that with this, you know, seven days in between Christmas and New Year's, where I kind of look back and go, how did 2022 go? And sometimes you look back and you're like, well, I failed on that resolution and that one. Man, I wanted to lose 20 pounds and I gained 20. That's not good. Or you may be like, you know what, I want to read my Bible more faithfully. And you look and you go, well, I failed at that too. What should we do? Simply put, we should press forward. Simply put, we should just keep plowing ahead, keep doing what God wants us to do. And so tonight with this message, whether you thought 2022 was your best year ever. Anybody? Anybody feel that way? Drew. Drew, we got one. So everybody else, this message is for you, but Drew. Drew, you still need to listen. So whether you think... 2022 is your best year, or maybe it wasn't. Let's press forward, okay? Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Paul here in Philippians is really showing his heart. I really believe that. Uh, Paul is showing us where his desire was. And sometimes we look at Paul and we go, there will never be another Paul. And I ask, why not? Look at his desire. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Just pause there for a second. Paul, this was his one desire. What made Paul so special? This was his desire. That he would know Christ. That he would know him better. Now let's look at verse number 11. If by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead. We'll explain that in a minute. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So if you know my preaching style, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take this passage, we're going to break it down, and then we're going to jump all over the place. So be prepared, okay? If you have your Bible, great. If you don't, we have pew Bibles. They're right in front of you. I want you to turn to these passages as we go through them, okay? Some of them will be fast, but it's okay. Maybe write them down and you can look at them later, okay? So number one, the first point tonight, by the way, I have two. Don't expect it to be a short message because I never preach short. Amen to that. Number one, proper perspective. A proper perspective. Look at Philippians 3.10 again. It says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul first goes, hey, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you know this, that God has given you the power to have victory? Do you realize that? So often we're like, well, I'm a fallen human being. I'm just going to fall into sin. God has given you the power to have victory. That is an amazing, amazing thing. If you don't believe me, look at Romans 6. Just look at the whole chapter, okay? God has given you the power to have victory. God has also given you the power to impact others. You know what we often don't do? When we talk about resolutions, we don't talk about making a resolution to share the gospel with more people. We go, well, I want to lose 20 pounds. Great. How is that impacting anybody? That may be good for your health, and some of us need to. I need to. 
Some of us need to lose 20 pounds. But when was the last time we said, you know what, God, I want to be a more faithful witness. God, I want to witness to so many people every week this year. I want to make it a point to do it. I would consider, I would encourage you, strongly encourage you to say, hey, I want to make an impact in others' lives. I don't want this year to just be about Dan Utley. I want it to be about impacting others. The second thing we look here at Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Who asked for suffering? Anybody, anybody ever pray for more suffering? Not me. But you know what he says? Hey, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you know this, that suffering drives you to God? It drives you to God. It forces you to realize that you cannot make it on your own. There are some people in our church that are dealing with cancer. You know that? There are people right now that are suffering. There are some people this past year, man, they had terrible health things. Terrible. Suffering drives you to God, but suffering also gives you a perspective. Look at Romans 8.18. I love this verse. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know what he's saying? I have realized in my life, I've come to this realization that the sufferings, the difficulties of life, cannot be compared to what God is doing and what he has done for me. So often we move from being thankful for Jesus Christ coming to this earth being thankful that he came to die for us, to, okay, moving on. I hope that we never, ever get over the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That every day in 2023, I go, God, thank you for coming. God, thank you. Thank you for paying the price for me. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you did. Thank you. Thank you for even allowing the suffering into my life. Then, look at this next part in Philippians 3.10. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now, how on earth does this happen? How am I conformed into his image? How am I kind of transformed? I guess we could put it that way. First of all, the word of God. This is so important. As we look at 2023, if you want to be successful in your Christian life, you are going to have to get into the word of God. 2 Timothy, 3, 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what that doesn't say? Simply reading. How many of you went to school? Just raise your hand, seriously. Like, okay, we went to school. I don't care how long you went to school. You may still be in school. But guess what you had to do? You had to study. You had to put some effort in. Studying is different than just reading. You can read a book, but that doesn't mean you know anything that happened. Right? You can just read words on a page and it's not going to affect you. There is a reason why, under the inspiration of God, this verse says, study to show thyself approved unto God. It's going to take work. So this year, don't just read it just to read it. 
Don't just read it because, well, we got to read the Bible through in a year. No, study it. Put some effort into it. We put effort into a lot of things. A lot of things I put effort into. My car's got issues. There's things I got to work on. I put effort into it. I had to change the light bulb, a headlight on my car. I had to take the whole front bumper off. Why? Whole time I'm like, seriously, people, why? Why? This is 2022. Why? I had to put effort into it. But when it comes to the word of God, we don't put any effort into it. I just sit there and if, if, if we're having a good day, we read it. No study involved. You know what study takes? Work. I never heard anybody who's going through school, Anna here, who's going to college. Studying's not easy, is it? No. And many of you study for your job, right? Lawrence does AC stuff. He has to study. He comes to a certain equipment and he goes, what on earth is this? He's got to look it up. He's got to work. I do that all the time at work. I got to look at manuals. You know how boring it is to read a manual on broadcasting equipment? It's extremely boring. And most of it's just like, you wonder why I'm bald? All the traffic, guys. It's all the traffic. <laughs> but you know what? It takes work. You got to dig in. You got to learn it. And it's going to take work for you to know this book. It's going to take work for you to really learn it. And this year, every day, realize it's going to take work. It doesn't just open up. It doesn't just appear right before my head as I wake up in the morning. That's not how it works. You have to put in work. This year, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be things that come up when you need to read the Word of God. Put in the work. Do it. It's worth it. Dig in. You know something else? How can I be conformable unto his death? How can I be transformed into the image of God? Secondly, you need to pray. Do you realize prayer is essential to your Christian life? It's essential. And yet so often we look at it and we go, reading the word of God, yeah, that's important. Prayer, come on. And we even come into times like this in a prayer meeting and we're like, well, okay. No, it is essential to your Christian life. Hebrews chapter 4, look at this. This is some of my favorite verses on prayer. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, because of what you just read, let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many of you realize tonight that you need mercy? How many of you realize tonight that you need grace? Yeah. Guess where we find it? Through prayer, guys. So often we're like, well, why am I not not finding mercy? Why am I not finding grace? Because we're not praying. We're not spending time with him in prayer. God speaks to you through his word. You speak to him through prayer. I've used this illustration so many times in youth group. When you have a relationship with somebody, guess what? You have to both talk. I remember, I'll share this to the entire church. I was dating a girl in seventh grade in high school. Her name is Lauren. Still, because she's still alive. Her name is Lauren. We, would, we were dating, and we would sit in youth group. I would sit by my best friend, David, and she would sit by her best friend, Deborah, and she would talk to Deborah, and I would talk to David, and we never talked to each other. Never. How long do you think that relationship lasted? It lasted like a month. Why? Because we never talked to each other. 
We wonder why we're not growing, why our relationship isn't progressing forward, because we're both not communicating. Whether we just pray or we just read the word of God, they both work together. There's a wonderful verse in Psalms that talks about, he says, hey, open thou mine eyes and I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. That is a prayer all of us should pray every time we open up his book. That is a prayer all of us should pray every time we walk into this auditorium. Lord, open up my eyes so that I can see what you want me to see. Prayer is essential to your Christian life. Do you realize this, that God desires to answer your requests? Matthew 7, verse number 11. He says, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, which hopefully us fathers did this Christmas season, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? You know what the comparison is? You, being an evil father, being a father who is a sinner, gives good gifts to your kids. He even uses the illustration of like, your child comes up to you and says, hey, I'm hungry, and you give him a stone. Yeah, that, that, great job. Dad of the year material, right? He, you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, just like how that doesn't make any sense to you, when you pray, your God wants to answer your request. And if you being evil not to give good gifts, don't you think he's going to do even better? That's what he's saying. God wants to answer your request, but so often he doesn't because we don't pray. We don't pray. We don't talk to him. We don't spend time in prayer. We just kind of go through life. Here's a a fun verse, Philippians 3.11. If by any means I'm going to attain unto the resurrection of the dead, what on earth is he talking about? Sometimes people jump over this. I want you to understand something. This is not talking about a physical resurrection. He's not saying, okay, I have to do this so that way then I can be resurrected. No. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 17 clearly tells us that all those who are in Christ will be raised. Look at these verses. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we, be, so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know what he's saying? Everybody's going to rise. Okay, the Christians will rise. Also, the dead, the the unsaved will rise. That's not what this is talking about, but the unsaved will rise too. Everyone will rise. He's not talking about a physical resurrection. So what is he talking about? A spiritual one. Look at Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. What he's saying? Let me walk worthy of what God has already done. That's what his desire was. Is that yours? God, I want to walk worthy of the life of what you have done, of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't want to just carry his name. I want to be a good representation of it. My dad would always say this every time we had a youth activity or I was hanging out with my friends. He said, hey, remember... You're an Utley. You know what that meant? That meant nothing to anybody else. That mean nothing to Danica. Hey, remember, you're an Utley. She's like, no, I'm not. Come on, I'm a Schultz. That meant something to me. You know, that, you know what my dad was saying? Hey, remember, you're not just a representation of you. You're representing the entire family. And my dad took that very seriously. 
when I was sitting in church in the back and I was messing around with my friend John Snyder, guess what? Mom and dad had a conversation with me. They always knew. They could sit way up here, and I would sit in the back of a thousand-seat auditorium, and they knew. I, I have no idea how they knew. I think people were, like, texting before it even was real. You know, like, hey, your child was misbehaving. What? How did this even work? They knew. And mom and dad, man, they came down hard on me, that service. Why? I wasn't a good representation of the Utley name. Even to this day, I want to be a good representation of my mom and dad. Even to this day. Why? Because I want to walk worthy of, what, of how they've raised me, of what they've done. And if I do that for my earthly father, how much more should I do that for my heavenly one? I should walk much more worthy of him, the God of the universe, who would send his son to die for somebody like me, for somebody like you. Come on, guys. Sometime I'm going to preach a message, and it's just going to be called, stop it. Just stop it. Just, just stop it. And the whole time I'm just going to say that over and over again. It's going to happen sometime. We'll wait. You're still getting to know me. Just, we need to just sometimes just stop it. We know what God wants us to do. I've said this to Dave numerous times. We like to think that this book is much more confusing than it actually is. God is very clear on how he wants you to walk. It's really not up for, like, big debates. People debate about stuff all the time, and I'm like, why are you debating about that? God talks about it very clearly in his word. But we like to debate because, well, God can't really mean that because that's not how I'm living. Well, guess what you need to do? Make an adjustment, guys. Well, wait, God can't really mean that teenagers are supposed to be pure. No, he does mean that. And he means the same thing for you adults. Wait, God doesn't really mean that I shouldn't be a gossip, that I shouldn't be a backbiter. No, that's exactly what he means. That's exactly what he means. No, wait, God doesn't really want me to love my spouse as Christ loved the church. No, that's exactly what he means. No, God doesn't really want me to submit to my husband. No, that's exactly what he means. We, we often go, well, wait a second, God. You're asking an awful lot. No, he's really not. He's given you his word. He says, hey, study it. Then adjust where you need to adjust. It's really not that complicated. Where it gets complicated is where I battle my flesh. And my flesh goes, hey, but, but what about when they do this? And well, man, then they deserve me being a jerk. No, they don't. No, they don't. It's not how God treats me. Right? Well, the Bible describes us before we came to know him that we were his enemies. If while we were enemies, he reconciled us unto himself. That's how Romans 5 talks about it. If I was his enemy and he sent his son to die for me, that is a love I don't have for my wife. I'm just being honest. I'm working, Barry. I'm working on it. And all of us God is so much more clear in his word than I like to give him credit for. And I think we do, we do ourselves a big disservice when we try to argue our way into spirituality instead of making changes to be spiritual. Just a thought. 
Philippians 3, 12 through 14, give us not just, our first point, looking back at it, a proper perspective, but a proper pursuit. So a proper perspective is that I will know him, that I'll grow in him. Now let's look at a proper pursuit. This is point number two. This is it. Nailing it. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says this. Not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So as we look at this proper pursuit, I first want to look at our propensity. What, are, what is our tendency in life? First, to complacency. I have a propensity towards complacency. I want to be complacent. You know what complacent is? Well, Mrs. Lewis, back when I was a teenager, I did such and such. Who cares? You know how long it was ago that I was a teenager? <laughs> a long time. I'm 36. That was a while ago. Okay? Every time I get up and I share my testimony to the teens, I'm like, oh, yeah, you remember September 11th? They're like, Mr. Utley, I wasn't born yet, and I realize I am really, really old. Okay? That's every time. I'm like, Dan, you are old. Here's, here's what I want, I want to show you, though. So often we go, when I was 40, I was doing this. You know, God doesn't go. God's asking you, what are you doing now? And you may not be able to do the things you could do when you were 40. I can't do the things I used to do when I was 18. I'm old, I'm slow, I'm fat. Okay? Just saying. That was for Lucas, not for Mrs. Lewis. That was for Lucas. But guess what? God has given me wisdom. God has given me experiences that now I don't make the same stupid decisions I made when I was 18. At least that's what it should be. So you know what you can do? Well, I can't, I can't get out, and I can't knock on doors for hours. I can't do that anymore. You can still make an impact in people. You can go through the grocery store, and instead of going oh, life is terrible, and looking like you're, ugh, like you're about to already rip everyone's face off, you can have a joy of the Lord. And you can walk up to people and go, hey, God's great. God's doing awesome. I'll never forget this when Pastor Belcher had cancer. Hey, Pastor Belcher, how are you doing? Oh, God's been good. And I'm like, dude, you have stage four lung cancer. If anybody could go, I'm not having a good day, Dan. It was Pastor Belcher, and yet, it's not what I ever heard. Every time I look at him, I'm convicted. Every time. Not just of his hair, but of, of his sweet spirit. Here's the thing, guys. So often, we get complacent. We get complacent. You realize this tonight, that no one has arrived? He says it right here. He says, uh, where is it? Brother, brethren, wait a second. Um... Verse number 12, not as though I'd already attained, either already perfect, 
but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul is saying, hey, I have not arrived. Look over Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, this is Paul. Somebody that we'd all be like, dude, you love God and you are awesome. If he came in here, we'd be like, standing ovation for Paul. That's what we'd all do. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. Where is Paul in Romans? He's in prison for, for doing what God wants him to do. It's a prison epistle. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. You know what Paul is saying? Hey, I still struggle. I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. I know that I still have a propensity to do evil. Paul is saying, hey, I have not arrived, Roman church. I have not gotten there. Sometimes we think we have arrived. Sorry, but if Paul, who was stoned and left for dead, who was shipwrecked, who was beaten numerous times, who was rejected over and over again, who his body would have had scars. You would have seen him and gone, man, that guy has been through it. And Paul goes, hey, I haven't arrived. Why do we think we have? Because we have gotten complacent. Because we've gotten comfortable. You know what I think has happened in the the American church is that we have gotten to a place where, well, we don't have any persecution and we think we're a Christian nation and that means everybody knows about Jesus Christ. No, they don't. Church, they don't. Go to the fair for just a, for a little bit. You will find out they have no idea about what Jesus Christ did. When I was younger, you used to be able to talk to people and they at least had an idea that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that he had died on the cross. They have no idea anymore you can't start off with the assumption that they know jesus christ died you have to explain it and you have to go through it and it takes much more work to share the gospel than it used to we have gotten complacent church i love this church it's a wonderful church it's a wonderful light in our community but so often we look around and we're like well the pews are full look around tonight church they ain't they're not we need to get busy We need to get busy. Well, what if they say no? So what? Get busy. Get out, share the gospel. If our teenagers can do it, you can. Teenagers walking down the streets of Dearborn, unashamed, handing out stuff to Muslims about church, about church that started. I was scared, and I'm old. We already talked about that. They weren't. They put me to shame. And yet, so often it doesn't affect us. We get complacent. I think this in between Christmas and New Year's is a perfect opportunity to go, God, have I gotten complacent? God, do I think I've arrived? Because we haven't. We have another propensity, though, not just to complacency, but also to compare. You know, we do this a lot. 
2 Corinthians 10.12 says this, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. When I go up and I go, well, I'm not as bad as George. He said, I hate being a sermon illustration, so there you go, George. When I compare myself to George, you know what the Bible tells me? I'm not wise. You know what that means? I'm a fool. When we go around and we go, well, I'm not as bad as the world. You shouldn't be. The world is the world. They're doing what their father does. When they lie, they're as their father, the father of lies. Why are we so confused about this? Well, I can't believe that the unsaved will lie to me. They're just doing what their dad does. But here's the thing. When I compare myself to somebody else, you know what I always do? I never find someone who's actually more spiritual than me. I always find someone who's less spiritual than me. Why? Because then it makes me look better. I don't really care about my spirituality. I just don't want to be the worst one in church. I don't want to be the sermon illustration of pastor. I don't want to be that. You know what that is? Again, it's complacency. We have a propensity to compare. We do it all the time. Well, are you the hardest worker at your factory? Well, I'm better than so-and-so. Who cares? You think the world goes, well, you're not the worst person I've ever met. That's not what they do. When I was a teenager, I would witness in South Bend, Indiana, which is the home of Notre Dame, everybody's Catholic. Everybody. You knock on a door, oh, I'm a Catholic. Okay. (laughs) Doesn't change anything that I'm doing here. But do you know what would often happen? They would say this. I know Christians. They act just like me. Why would I ever place my faith in your God when they're just like me or they're worse than me? How on earth do you respond to that? I'm sorry. That never, ever went well in that conversation. The world will never compare you to somebody else. They will always compare you to the real standard. We are the ones who compare ourselves to worse than us. Instead of comparing yourself with somebody else, compare yourself to your example. You know what the Bible tells us? That Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So, instead of going, well, I'm not as bad as Gene Kutcher. Just, sorry, I just moved on. I'm not as bad as Gene Kutcher. Compare yourself to your Savior. We're going to be starting a new sermon series this Sunday, actually, in youth group, where we're talking about following his steps. We're going to look at Jesus Christ's life and go, well, how did he respond when he faced this? I cannot wait for it. I am so excited. I wanted to start in December, and then that didn't happen because we had one youth group, and it was our Christmas party. But we're going to start it this Sunday. Why? If Christ left me an example, I should look at his example and go, wait a second. This is what he did. This is how I should respond. It's going to be a great series. I'm so excited. I'm so pumped about it. Because 
again, we compare ourselves to others that are less than us, that we know that they're, they're struggling with something. Instead of really doing what God wants us to do, looking at Jesus Christ and going, wait a second, I'm not matching up. Why did Paul say that I may know him? This is my desire. I want to know him. I want to, I want to grow in him. I want to have a relationship with him. Because he was not comparing himself to Barnabas. He was not comparing himself to John Mark. He was comparing himself to his Savior. And I think that's what caused Paul to go a step further than everybody else. So not only do we have a propensity, but we should have a pursuit. Our pursuit is what I call it just because I tried my best to alliterate. I tried my best. My, my vocabulary is much smaller than Pastor Holmes, so it's okay. Our pursuit, to forget those things which are behind. Look at verse number 13 again in Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Forget those things which are behind. Tonight, I want you to realize that those failures that you did last year were already paid for. How can I forget those things which are behind? Because they're already paid for. They're under the blood. 1 Peter 2.24, some of my favorite verses when I witness to people, is this. Look at this. Who his own self, speaking of Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. You know what that means? Christ took upon himself your sins and mine, so that you who were dead could be alive. That's the whole point. So if he bear our sins in his own body on the tree, guess what? They've already been paid for. You look back over 2022 and you go, well, I wanted to have victory in this and I didn't. They have already been paid for. There's nothing that you have to do to somehow redeem yourself. That's baloney. No, Christ already paid for it. He bare our sins in his own body on the tree. It's not like he's still dying on the tree. He already did that. He took all of our sins upon himself. But I also want you to understand something. Not only are they under the blood, but they can be forgiven. I want you to understand this. This does not affect your position, but it can affect your fellowship. You and I, when we fall into sin and we don't confess it and we don't forsake it and we don't do what God wants us to do, it doesn't affect my position. I'm still his child. When I was a teenager, if I went out and murdered somebody, I would still be the son of Matt and Tina Utley. It would not change who I was. But you better believe it would affect our fellowship. I would be in jail. I wouldn't be here. And rightfully so, right? We'd all agree. So let's look at this. They can be forgiven. 1 John 1, 9. This is not talking to the unsaved. This is talking to us, to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess. What does that mean? To say the same thing as. It's like, well, God, I tripped up. No, you have failed him. When we guys look on a woman to lust after her, guess what God said? You've committed adultery in your heart already. Well, I, well that's pretty bad, right? Hey, you know what Jesus says? Hey, you hate your brother without a cause. You've committed murder in your heart. I'm not a murderer. Wait a second. You are. 
Here's what happens to us again. We're like, well, I'm not that bad. I haven't acted on it. No, you are still guilty. That's what Jesus' point was. You are still guilty. So what do we have to do? Confess it. Say the same thing as, God, I murdered George. Say it what God says. I don't actually hate you. We're good. We're good. Say the same thing. Why? Because he is faithful. This is one of those attributes that we never, ever talk about. God's faithfulness. I can't remember who I was talking to. Oh, it was Mary Kay. She was over at the radio station one time. I was talking to her. God's faithfulness is something we overlook all the time. Do you realize if God was not faithful, his grace and his mercy would mean nothing? My pastor would always say this. He was from Tennessee, and he's like, you know what nothing is? It's a ring. It's a zero with a ring rubbed out. That's why we'd always explain it. I'm like, you could have just said it's nothing, but okay. It's nothing. God's grace and his mercy is nothing to me if he's not faithful, if he's not consistent. When I go through difficulties, I can look back over my life and go, wait a second. God answered prayer. He was with me then. He can be with me now. He is with me now. He does not change. He is consistent. Some of you are dealing with some big stuff. You're struggling. God is faithful. God is faithful. And if you forget everything else, I want to remind you of this. And you forget about the other times that God has answered prayer. Remember the greatest miracle he's done in your life is salvation. You were dead and now you're alive. So at the very least, God's been awful good to you. Right? Well, how can God be good to me in my cancer? Wait a second. Wait a second. God did a tremendous work in me. He has been more than good. God is faithful, look at this, and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go over to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. This is a great illustration because we're like, well, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Cool. Look at Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Do you realize what that means? They're gone. They are gone. He doesn't remember them anymore. They are gone. And what happens to us so often is I failed. I've fallen short. I haven't done what God wants me to do. And I go, well, I can't do this because of this past failure. You know what that is? That's the devil getting in your head. God will never bring up a past failure that has been forgiven. Never. Another passage talks about how he remembereth them no more. They're gone. Does God ever forget? He chooses to. Here's the thing, guys. I want you to get this. You may have failed epically in 2022. Press forward. Say, God, forgive me. God, I have failed you, and I have failed you epically. God, forgive me. And then press forward. Forget it and move on. So often we get so discouraged. Well, so-and-so is going to think bad of me. So what? 
forget it and move on. Get victory. Memorize scripture. Get victory and move on. Move on. You don't have to keep on going, well, I'm a terrible person. We all are, people. We all are. We're all evil. Forget it and move on. Press forward. They can be forgiven. But not only do we forget those things which are behind, but look at this. In verse number 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? Reach forward. Reaching forth. Focus on growing. Every year I think of what goals do I have for youth group? And every year this verse comes into my mind, 2 Peter 3.18. Look at it. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Every year this verse comes into my mind because this is what I want our youth group to do. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is what I want. That is my one desire. You say, well, what do you do in youth group? First of all, I preach, and I preach really long, okay? You think I'm long in here? I'm longer back there. I preach really hard to our teens, and I do it on purpose. It's not about the games. It's not about the fellowship. It's about that. For you, it's about that. I'm looking at a different screen, but it's about that. My arms don't bend that way. That's what it's about. That they'll grow in grace and in the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, that is what it's all about. Not about anything else. They can have fun. Cool. We, we can chuck dodgeballs at each other. Cool. I can run into Anna 14 times, which apparently I did. She told me about that, our last thing we did as a youth activity. And I'm like, you didn't tell me this before? I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> apparently I didn't apologize. So, Anna, I'm sorry. From the pulpit, I'm sorry. Do you forgive me now? I'm sorry. Okay. Focus on growing. How can I reach forth? Focus on growing this year. Well, I've read through the Bible 18 times. Okay. Start studying a different way. Study a Bible character. Study a book of the Bible. Study, I don't know, Jesus Christ. Study, study something. Just dive in deeper. Just get in deeper than you've ever before. Well, you know, I've been reading my Bible for 48 years. Okay. Pastor Belcher, do you know everything? Do you know everything about the Word of God? No. How long have you been in the ministry? Five years. 55 years. And he goes, no, I don't know everything. Mrs. Lewis, do you know everything? No. Guess what? You won't either. And that's okay. There are things I read in Scripture, and I'm like, what on earth is going on? Study. And at some point, you got to go, wait a second, God, you're a lot bigger than me. I, I don't get it, but that's what you say. I trust you. I get, okay. I, how does the Trinity work? Ah. This is what it says. I, that's all I got. That's all I got, and I'm okay. Grow. Focus on growing. Number two, focus on ministry. How can you reach forth? Focus on growing. Focus on ministry. Do you realize tonight that there are areas in our church that we desperately need help? Desperately need help. There are people worn absolutely to like 
on the razor's edge. They're barely holding it together. And some of us need to do something. Sitting in the pew is great, but you got to get out of the pew at some point and you got to minister. You got to do something. Focus on ministry. Galatians 6.10, it says this, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Anybody else convicted? Anybody else? Yeah, I am. Thank you, Matthew. I thought I almost just raised my hand, but he got real slow. No. Look at this. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. I'm supposed to do good for everybody, but especially for you guys. Huh. You know what that means? Sometimes I'm going to have to minister when it's not easy. When it's cold outside, I got to minister. When I'm aching and I don't want to get out of bed, I got to get up and do something. You know who really challenges me? He's not in here. His family is. Dave Wyrick. That guy challenges me all the time. There are times when I know he's in pain and he's still up here leading music. And I know he's hurting. Why? He takes this verse and he goes, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Some of us need to go, I'm not really stretched that far. I need to do something. I had a church growing up of a thousand people. I jo- I'm not joking. It was a thousand people in our church. There's probably about 50 who did something in our church. A thousand people, five times the size of Harvest Baptist Temple, and 50 did the work for a thousand. Why? It's real comfortable to sit in a pew. It's much harder to get up and do something. Minister. Minister. Some of you go, well, I can't, I can't do a lot of things. You can go and assemble John and Romans this Friday. You can. You can. I've seen little kids do it. You can do it. The teenagers did it. You can do it. Well, I'm busy. Adjust your schedule. If you can, do it. You know, it'd be awesome if Darrell sets up all these chairs and tables and he's got all this stuff and he's like, what happened? We got to pull in more chairs and tables and we got to be like, uh, we're pulling bleachers. We're doing everything we can to, to try and get something done. Why? Because we want to make a difference. We want to minister. Amen. Betty Sanchez, her hip is killing her. You know what she's going to be on Friday? Assembling, assembling Bible. She's going to be ripping them apart. I always say it's because of her anger for Edgar. She's, she's just like, and she does like 18 at a time. You know, there's another guy who ministers all the time, Robert Reinberger. He's underneath the bus all the time working on something. He is. Why? That's his way of ministering. Some of us need to get up and do something this year. You you sit and you go, wait a second. I've not been involved at all. It's time for me to do something. And it's not going to be, well, pastor's going to come up to me and go, hey, you'd be great at this. You know, sometimes we've got to go up to the pastor and go, hey, I want to do this. 
And pastor goes, awesome, I didn't know you were interested. And then after he falls over, you help him back up. And you go, no, I'm serious, I want to help you with this. And he goes, okay, cool, and we can press forward in a new way this year. A way we never thought could have happened. Paul goes, not only do I reach forth, but I also press toward the mark. Paul had a singular focus. What was this focus? To bring honor and glory to his God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Everything. How can you eat to the glory of God? You can be thankful. You can maybe share it with somebody else. You can say, God, how can, how can I impact somebody who doesn't have anything? How can you drink to the glory of God? Same thing. Drink the right stuff. Not the wrong stuff, right? I think that's a big one. Whether you, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything should be for his glory. Why? He's, he's, alone this, he's the only one that's worthy. It's not about me. It's not about Dan Utley. It's about my God. Dan Utley would be nothing if it wasn't for him. I wouldn't be able to be up here tonight if it wasn't for him. I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for him. He is everything. So... I'm going to bring him glory in everything. You're going to have a successful year this year. These verses are how. Have a proper perspective. And have a proper pursuit. I hope tonight that this message challenged you. This was obvious 